0: Hello my friends and welcome. My name is Joe. This is The Joe Martino Show. Today we're going to talk about some emails that I got. We're going to talk about a question about a book I'm reading, Educated by Tara Westover. Have you read it? Have you considered reading it? If so, what do you think? We're going to talk about one reader's or one listener's experience reading it and then my experience as I am about halfway through it. Let's kick it off. This is The Joe Martino Show. You're listening to The Joe Martino Show, a podcast dealing with all things emotional, relational, and human nature. Joe is a licensed counselor in the state of Michigan specializing in relationship therapy. He is also the author of the book, The Emotionally Secure Couple. All advice offered in this episode is offered for entertainment and educational purposes only. Enjoy the show. Okay, lots to talk about today. Uh, I want to talk about some emails that I've gotten. I want to talk about a book that I'm reading. I want to talk about... Uh, Maybe if we get to it, uh, a little bit of some COVID-19 stuff, which I know we're all kind of have some uh, listening fatigue about that. But I want to talk less about the the virus and more about some things that we can do to kind of embrace our own lives in in the middle of what we're living. Uh, So the first thing I want to do is I want to read this email that came in from someone who liked my podcast about not parenting to power Uh, I just wanna I'm just gonna start reading Love the Podcast 115. Sometimes I say, quote, I'm the parent, end quote, thing, for a lack of feeling competent to argue with my witty child. I'm gonna stop there for a minute and I'm gonna say I actually think that's one of the reasons that anybody who argues to power, that's why they argue to power, because they don't feel like they actually have a solution short of arguing for their authority. They don't feel like they have an argument, short of arguing. Uh, from, well, you have to do it because of my position. This is bad leadership, whether it's in the corporate world or in the home. And we're all tempted to do it. Uh, My daughter and I were talking about it. She listened to the podcast uh, because the idea, uh, somebody calling her a spoiled brat piqued her interest. And so her and my wife listened to it and commented how I did not leave my uh, sarcasm out when I read that email. Uh, and, and she talked about how there has been times in her life where I've said, okay, you just have to do this because I'm the parent. And I share that not because like, I don't know I'm, I fear, I guess I don't know, I fear that there's going to be some people like, oh, see, Joe's a hypocrite. He, he says, don't do this, gets me all riled up. And then he confesses the next week that he does it. It's true. I do it. It's not very often. but There is an appropriate look. I'm the authority. And sometimes you just, you have to do it, but it's rarely, I, I want to say never, I want to say it's never the best way. But I'll struggle with that because one of my good rules for communication or rules for good communication is to always avoid always and never say never. But it's rarely the best way. And one of the things that we want to engage in is the best way, right? That's, that's why people get so mad, because they feel like I'm calling them a bad parent. When I say to somebody, I think spanking's wrong and they spank their kids, they feel like I'm calling their character into question. They feel like I'm saying they're a bad parent and I promise you I'm not. I'm just saying I disagree with their techniques, much like they disagree with mine. And, and I think we need to find a place to live in that tension. With that said, psychologically, we know that people who go to power to get something done often do it because they feel like they're stuck. And so they intensify, right? And that's what the writer is talking about there in the opening part of her email. Uh, And so I want to continue with her email. She says, but your podcast helped me to push, help push me to not give up. It's like the spanking argument. Sometimes I think it seems like the easy way out, like yelling and like the quote, I'm the parent quote argument because it doesn't require more work in the moment. That is something I strongly agree with. I was talking to one of my therapists early this week, and we were talking about, when I say my therapist, I mean actually one of my employees, but we were talking about how marriage is different, right? When you live with someone, it's different uh, as a married person than when you're dating because you can kind of go home and, and get a good night's sleep and get breakfast and then come back to whatever the argument is. There, there isn't that burr under your saddle right there. And then we were talking about parenting. He's newly married. He believes that he's going to spank. Uh, I want to make sure I quote him right in certain circumstances. Uh, And so I told him how I used to be a pro spanker. And then people started to very gently, you know, invite me into conversations. And, And they gave me an argument that pulled the linchpin that caused everything else to kind of cascade to where I'm at today into the research. And one of those arguments that came very quickly after the linchpin was not spanking requires more work in the moment, but spanking requires more work in the long term because you actually have to, at some point you have to reason with your children when you spank them, which I know is usually the anti-spanking argument, but, but it really is, at some point you have to reason with them. And I'm not trying to redo the whole episode. Uh, it, it, the response has really kind of surprised me. I mean, I knew it would be, so, some people would be upset, but I've literally had friends really come at me with a strong emotional response. to it. And I mean, I'm talking friends who knew me long before I ever had a podcast or a book or anything like that. People I've known a long time, we're, we're pretty upset and that's okay. Uh, it does create emotional response, often because of what's going through our head. And as this writer sharing, there are things that go through her head in the moment that causes her to elevate with intensity. And often when we have a habit of giving into that elevation for intensity, what happens is those, we do that when we hear something we don't like, like a lot of those people coming at me with intensity, that's because that's their habit. So, so she continues to write, I was able to successfully think of something to say to my son in the moment today. And then she shares the story. He likes to hog our two remotes and will swipe them if they are next to me. He took one and argued we were, quote, even, end quote. So I let it go. When I left my seat, he took mine too. I told him when I found out about him taking my seat that his consequence was he had to give them, give both remotes back to me. He said, quote, to make it equal, I'm going to give you a consequence, period, end quote. I love her response. But first she says this, to which then my response would usually be, at this point in the argument quote, I'm the parent, end quote. In other words, give me the doggone remotes. Instead, she said, quote, then I'm going to need some of your money to contribute to the electric bill, end quote. To which he immediately said, no way. And then at some point he said, okay, and walked away. But I changed the whole, quote, we're not equals argument to a specific reason why we're not equals without saying it. I feel it was a step in the right direction for me. It's hard not to get angry sometimes when I can't think of a solution. So to use a phrase you often say, I jump to intensity, which leads to imitation of intensity or shutdown. Both I want to avoid. And she ends the email. Mm -hmm. Now here's the thing. Here's what's beautiful about this. She didn't just say, just give me the remotes because I want them. She actually caused him to think. She used an intervention that forced her child to think. I actually know her son He's incredibly smart. Uh, both of his parents are very intelligent. Uh, and, and, and she used her parenting teachable moment to cause him to think, which I think is a beautiful thing. I think it's awesome. I think we should do that as often as we can. We should do that as regularly as we can. Uh, it's, it's a wonderful thing. that Our desire to teach our kids to think about what they're doing and the, the implications of it, not just the next result, but what's the next two results? What puts it into motion? If, if, if we can teach our kids to do that, I think our desire to teach our kids to do that should be as high as our desire to affirm our kids. One of the things that I, I hope to get to today is this idea that we tend to look at decisions in the moment about how they, like, I'm gonna do this thing and it's gonna have this consequence. What we don't typically think is about how many different consequences that consequence leads to. This past week, my wife and I were driving and I said to her, we were talking about a situation and I said, well, if that never happens, we probably never meet this person. And she kind of looked at me, and I'm like, well, here's how, you, here's how I connected it. And I drew, and it was like seven steps. And, and she was like, yeah, I hadn't really thought about that. And I'm like, yeah, it's something that I, I try to think about intentionally as often as I can. Uh, what, what's going on in my life today that is the result of, of six, seven, 14, 28 steps you know, consequences, where where consequences, one decision led to all these other steps. And one of the ways that I think about that is in parenting. Am I teaching my children to think think about the multiple impacts, the multiple consequences that their decision that they're contemplating will have on their life? Where you go to college, like these are the obvious ones, right? Where you go to college, who you marry, how many kids you're going to have, where are you going to live? I was driving through Grand Rapids yesterday and I realized how much of a non-city person I am. And if you love the city, I, I, I theoretically get it. Like I'm not knocking you because to me, there was a time in my life where the only thing I wanted to do was move to the city. And now yesterday I had to drive downtown where I get my haircut is downtown. And I was trying to find a coffee shop where I could sit down and do some work. I do my best writing at, at a third place, if you've heard that term, and I couldn't find any, and I'm going down these side streets, and I'm here and there, and I just, the realization hit me, I'm not a city person. I don't mind visiting it. I don't mind going once in a while, but I, I'm not, I prefer rural. I prefer country, and, and, and that's a series of steps that have led me to that place in my life, and so what I love about this email is she, she utilized, she still held a boundary. She still talked to the kid. She still corrected him and trained him. Notice I avoided the word punishment, but she trained him and she did it by causing him to think about what, what he was saying means. And one of the things that happens all the time, in fact, just yesterday in session, a client went on and talked to me for about 12 minutes about how he was feeling, and I said, awesome, so what? And I don't mean so what, like, and if you're a long-time listener, you know I don't mean so what, like, I don't know, so what? I meant so what, like, okay, so what does that mean? So you feel that way. Here's a question I regularly ask my clients, myself, my family, sometimes my friends. Okay, so you feel that way, but how much weight do you give to your feelings? How much weight do your feelings get to drive your life? And that starts, if, it, one of the things that we've done is we've not, in order to teach children to honor their feelings, we've not taught them to measure their feelings. And she did that there, and I love it. Okay, let's talk about another email that I got. And this one is, is a bit of a, a subject change, uh, but I'm going to go ahead and read it. Dear Joe, uh, I've noticed that you are reading the book Educated. I'm a little uncertain how this person knows I'm reading it, but uh, it is true, I am reading it. So, Dear Joe, I noticed that you were reading the book Educated, and I wanted to know what you thought about it. All my friends have been reading it and just raving about it for most of 2020. I have started it three times and put it down all three times. I'm tempted to try and pick it up a fourth time because I feel like I'm missing out on something. But to this point, it has just been awful for me. It's been awful because I was abused as a child. While I didn't live in Idaho... And I'm not a Mormon. I did grow up in an extremely abusive house. And reading that book creates memories. Creates memories. Reading that book, I think what they're trying to say is brings back memories. But creates memories about my own childhood. It's very painful for me. The book seems to be a lament of growing up with two parents with severe issues and a family that had severe issues because of that. My parents were actually preppers at Y2K. There's just so much anger in me. When I read the book, I feel the pain. What are your thoughts? Should I read the book? This is the part that always interests me. Sometimes when people ask these questions. What are your thoughts? Should I read the book? And what do you think of the book? Okay, so um, I, I can't tell you whether or not you should read the book. If it's very painful for you, if it's bringing up emotions and pains that you need to process and you're not able to process, it doesn't sound like it would be wise to me for you to read the book. With that said, I get what you're saying. I've read the book or I'm reading the book. I'm about halfway through. I actually texted a friend of mine who read it and actually commented uh, somewhere where she saw that I was doing anything on Goodreads or Facebook and she said, good book and or something along the lines of Goodread. And I, I texted her and I was like, hey, tell me this book gets uplifting at some point. Because right now, it just feels like I am in a long session. I, I, I don't like, I don't know what I think of the book. I'll be really honest. I'm not done with it. I don't know what I think of the book. I, I agree. I've had a lot of friends rave about it. Um, I even had a therapist friend rave about it. It just, I, I don't need to read that book to know people like that exist. And, and I know the author is kind of the hero of the story because she's the author. And not that she's you know, trying to cast herself as a hero. When I say hero of the story, I mean in in a literature-like term. She's the hero of the story, and it's from her perspective. And she, to this point, I just got to where she's at college, and she's endured crazy things. I can't help but think about, well, what about her parents? What did her dad go through? Was he bipolar? She suggests that he is. Was he a paranoid schizophrenic? She suggests also that he could be that. Her mother, is she does she just have PTSD, which is not just, right? Does she have PTSD? And that's why she goes along with the father's schemes uh, and, and, and some of his behaviors that are just completely out of bounds. Does she also have uh, a mental illness uh, that is causing her to do that, that is leading her down that path? I don't know. Uh, I do know the book's been very difficult for me to read, so I'm with you there. Uh, I, I, I'm actually working on a book about the story in our head, and I was talking to someone ab- about Educated who didn't read it, DNF'd it. That means did not finish. And, and he said to me, and I'm going to try and quote this. I wrote down notes. He, 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 I wrote down what he said to, uh, so that I could share it in this episode with his permission. He said, you know, I have, I have some very distinct memories of my dad. His dad's past. And he said, one of them is him standing at my baseball games, and he played baseball and soccer, my baseball and soccer games, cheering for me as best he could. And and, and he he did a body motion where, he, where his dad would cross one hand over his right hand. He'd put it into his left bicep and, and then fold his left arm up on it. And then he would rest his left hand on his chin while he was standing. And when he was in deep concentration, he would do that. And he said, I remember a lot of times looking over, and my dad didn't get to play sports as a kid, uh, wasn't allowed to watch them, and so he was trying to cheer for me in a way he didn't understand sports. And he said, and I remember those those moments clearly. He said, unfortunately, I also remember moments where my dad would just beat me. One time, uh, I broke a dish in the kitchen. He said, and what he actually means, I think I broke a dish in the kitchen. I don't remember for sure. He said, My dad got so mad and he grabbed my shoulder and drove his thumb into there's, there's a nerve just above your clavicle. He said, Just trying to break, take me down to my knees. And he would get real close to your face and he'd have bad breath. And his eyes would go back and forth looking in your eyes. And then out of nowhere, he, he swung a, 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 a punch and I ducked and his hand hit the wall and broke the wall. And I got in trouble because the wall was broke. He said, So when I read Uneducated, I brought up, a lot of those memories were brought up. Here's the thing that I want you to consider reader or or a person who wrote into me and listener. You're living amongst abused people more than you ever think. I don't care where you live. I don't care what you do. If you know more than four people, the majority of the people you know are abused in some way, or some fashion. And people are like, oh, that's not true. It is true. There are more, and we're producing more and more. And, and we, if we expand out what we're talking about to sexual abuse, emotional abuse, the numbers skyrocket. But you're living near interacting with people who are physically abused on a regular basis. I, I just, I have so many stories from people who lived in quote normal society and always felt like an outsider, felt like an outcast, felt like they didn't belong. Because they were abused and they walked in. I I know one guy who who worked at a grocery store and he said, I remember the first time my boss got mad at me and started yelling. I thought he was going to hit me. Because that's what happened at home. They would just start throwing haymakers or open, open open-handed smacks or, uh, one guy told me about how his mom would grab him by the neck and drive her thumb into her throat, uh, I had a, a girl tell me one time, a woman tell me how when she was a girl, uh, her dad would make her stand on her tippy toes and then reach up as high as she could and he would draw chalk lines around her fingers. And she had to keep her fingers in those chalk lines and then he would drop her pants or lift her skirt and beat her bare bottom. And if she came down, I, I don't know, it had like five swats or something crazy. That's abuse. And here's the thing, what she, what she talked about was how she translated that to that's just how life goes. And so when she went out into the world, she, she operated from this I don't belong here mentality, which, which the author of the book Educated, Tara Westover, discusses at, at different points, at least to the, the point of the book that I'm in. She might discuss it even more as she goes. And, and so one of the things that I want to ask everybody is what are the pains that you're carrying that are filtering your events in life that are causing you to think about things about yourself, about others, about your environment that aren't accurate, that are causing your world to be distorted, that are causing your uh, environment to be distorted, that are causing your processes to run more slowly because you're caught struggling with a self-view that comes from being abused to the people who've never been abused who really annoys you who really gives you pause to be like oh have you ever considered that most of those behaviors might be driven from trauma have you ever considered that most of those behaviors might be driven from abuse? I, the older I get, the more I realize just how many people are abused. I was talking to a former co-worker at the mental hospital uh, where I worked here locally and was talking about some adult behaviors that he has. And I said, hey, have you ever been abused? And he got real quiet and he said, yeah, actually I was. Why? And I said, I have a feeling that probably most of the people we work with at the hospital were abused somewhere in their past. And that creates a filter that they want to help people. But one of the things that that struck me, and again, I'm only about halfway through the book, but again, Westover talks about how when she got to college, and she got her roommates, they looked at her with disdain. Now here's the thing, they may have or they may not have. She's actually pretty uh, uh, cognizant about this. She talks about how she's not sure if they actually did or, you know, when different things happened. She's not sure, is this actually what happened or is it how I remember it or was it how is it how I filtered it? And so that's really good self-awareness on her part. But I got to tell you, probably a lot of the times when she was like, oh, like especially with the roommates... They probably did look at her with disdain. Because one of the things that happens is abused people, survival becomes the norm for them. So they're just trying to survive. She talks about how she didn't take a shower, but once or twice a week, and she didn't wash her hands because her dad, who, who obviously had some mental problems, uh, didn't believe in washing hands. So, so when she goes to college, she stinks. Her room stinks. When she had a boyfriend come over to the house where she grew up, uh, The house tank because things were rotting and and they were prepping for the end of the world. I I don't know. I've got to be honest. I've thought about not continuing to read the book because it is discouraging to read and I'm not sure. I don't need to be aware that there are people that are are suffering that because I know it because I sit with them weekly. I think that is a value to the book, to the person who wrote in. Uh, I would say it doesn't sound like you need to be aware of that. It sounds like you know that you're aware of that. I would suggest this. If you get to the end of the book, and when I texted my friend, she told me that it gets more uplifting uh, as she starts to talk about how she overcame the things. And and if you get to the end there and you find someone who has overcome the very things that you feel are holding you back, then I think you will be better... uh, What would be the word here? You uh, You will be at a better place to overcome the things that are holding you back. In other words, sometimes it's good for us to understand that we're not alone, that there are other people out there. One of the things that's most insidious about abuse is it creates shame and fear. And the shame it it, it creates is, I'm in pain, I'm suffering, and it's my fault. Almost all abusers blame their victims for being an abuser. And so as as they dive into their life, as they dive into trying to get something done, what they do is they start to have self-talk about how they're messed up. They're broken. They're, they're less than. They are uh, not good enough. If their house isn't perfect, they're not good enough. If their job isn't A1 top tier, they're not good enough. If their car isn't, if their kids aren't, if if their hair isn't long enough, if their hair isn't short enough, if their body isn't curvy enough, if their body's too curvy, if their body isn't muscular enough, if it's too muscular, whatever it is, this negative talk, which I think every human being is predisposed to wrestle with. But if this negative talk doesn't run its way out, if this negative talk doesn't get out of the way, it becomes sabotage to their life. And this is one of the reasons that people who are abused tend to go like, right? So I don't know if Westover got married. I, I don't, I'm literally in the middle of the book. But when I read her story, when I hear about her upbringing, she is at an incredibly high risk to marry an abuser because healthy people won't be on her radar. She'll be afraid like when a person acts healthy that they're going to judge her or they she won't understand it. Uh, she is at a high risk to marrying an abuser because she's going to see abusing as normal and there's going to be a part of her brain that she may never actually talk about out loud to anyone. There's going to be a part of her brain that says, well, this is just what I deserve. One of the things that I am concerned about for our society is I am afraid that we are creating more and more people who have experienced trauma. And So all I want to do today is twofold. First of all, I want you to think about yourself. Sometimes we experience trauma and because we've normalized it, we don't look at it as trauma. I was talking to a client one time and I said, have you ever been sexually assaulted? It's in the intake. It's a normal first question. No, not at all. In the second session, I, I circled back to her and I said, hey, I just want to come back to this. Are you sure you haven't been abused? Nothing sexual happened to you? Because a lot of the symptoms, and I got to that point, she said, no, 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 no. And then proceeded for 30 minutes to tell me all of the different times that she had been sexually assaulted, and it was numerous, but in her brain, remember, our brain seeks to normalize things. It normalized it, and she thought everything was her fault, and she, she carried this tremendous amount of shame in her life, and she was in her, her later stages of life, and she carried all of this shame in her life because she thought she deserved those terrible things that happened to her. So I want you to think about your own life. Is there areas of your life where you feel like you're out of control, where you're bubbling up, where you're bursting in ways that you wish you didn't? Could it be because you have some trauma, whether it's physical or sexual or emotional, that you need to process? And then I want you, the second, the second part of it is, I want you to think about other people in your life. What kind of traumas have they gone through? And how might you be an agent of healing for them? I want to tell you, if you're trying to be an agent of healing in order to heal your own traumas, that won't work. But if you're trying to be an agent of healing and processing through your own traumas, you can help. You don't need to be a counselor. I mean, plenty of counselors are agents of healing. Some actually aren't because they have to work through their own stuff, probably. Uh, but but you don't have to be a counselor. You don't have to be a mental health professional. But you can be an agent of healing by being a good friend, by engaging people. One of the things that I just think we need to to step back and brutally look at is most of the behaviors that drive us, Not certainly there's plenty that are because of selfishness and that type of thing, but most of them are probably related to trauma. And I, I think Westover's book does a good... Uh, does a good job exposing that in the normal run of life. I don't even know who she is. I don't know why she got a publishing contract. I don't know what she's done. I don't, I don't know if it's just a normal person sharing her story, and, and that's the appeal. But a lot of people have experienced trauma, and we don't talk about it. Or we tra- we, we talk about trauma that isn't trauma, um, which is probably another day. But, but I would just encourage you those two things. What, what's going on in your life? Have you processed your own trauma? The the phrase, well, this is just the way I am, is rarely helpful. It's dismissive. It usually is trying to ignore trauma that's happened. And then what about the people in your life? All right, I want to thank you so much for listening. I want to thank you for the emails. Uh, If you haven't read the book, it's called Educated by Tara Westover, I believe is her last name. I'm actually listening to it on audio Um, It is a very difficult book to read and I'm not necessarily recommending it, nor am I not recommending it. I'm just telling you that I'm reading it and it was uh, the book that was in the email that was sent in to me. I do want to let you know we do have a lot of exciting things happening here locally. Uh, We are planning on doing a... We've talked about this in the past and I think we finally found an iteration that will work. We're going to launch two potential boot camps for couples. One will be just one couple. Uh, for a weekend the other one would be up to four couples Uh, you do get a lot of one on one and a lot of group therapy with my wife and I Uh, we're going to roll that out I'm still working on the men's mentoring I've gotten quite a few emails about that uh, quite a few shout outs about that so we're we're still working on that Uh, the second edition of the book should be coming out soon we're just waiting on one thing to get done and then we will uh, release that and the new book has a new release date of sometime next spring COVID has not been friendly to my writing. All right, thanks so much for listening. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's show, please share with a friend. And hey, give us that rating in your podcast store. Until next time, change possible.